This is Radio Health Journal. I'm Reed Pence. This week, fatty liver disease, a sneaky disorder that may affect a quarter of the population. And then all of a sudden, the diagnosis of advanced stage liver disease is made in cirrhosis, and they're shocked, and they're looking at such treatments as liver transplantation. We'll look at ways to head that off when Radio Health Journal returns. I'm Nancy Benson, host of Radio Health Journal. If you enjoy listening to Radio Health Journal, you'll also like our sister show, Viewpoints, which covers a wide array of topics from education to history to the environment. Here's a preview of what they're covering this week on Viewpoints. I was already very skeptical and thought she was a very dangerous person. The story behind Theranos and Elizabeth Holmes. Then, Lin-Manuel Miranda, you know, the creator of Hamilton, he put it as, I have a lot of apps open in my head right now. That's what he likes to say. The benefits of juggling several different passions in life. I'm Marty Peterson. And I'm Gary Price. These stories in depth on your public affairs magazine, Viewpoints. Listen to Viewpoints on your favorite radio station and subscribe and listen to shows anytime on Apple Podcasts and Google Play. Most people have heard of cirrhosis of the liver. That's when scar tissue replaces healthy liver cells, and it's the most common reason for liver failure and the need for a transplant. Most of us associate cirrhosis with heavy drinking, but other causes are increasing rapidly. Doctors call it non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. There's a growing subset of the population that have obesity and fatty infiltration of the liver. It's about a quarter of the population and it's growing. That's hepatologist Dr. Michael Pareko, professor of medicine at the Vanderbilt University Medical Center. He says fatty liver is increasing along with a lot of other disorders that today are all too familiar. The people at risk tend to have what we call metabolic syndrome. And as you can imagine, they're individuals, usually they're overweight and they have a certain type of being overweight where the fat is distributed more in the center of the body and the abdomen, which we call the apple kind of phenotype. But there are also oftentimes individuals who have what we call insulin resistance. Many are overt diabetics, but some are not overt. They may have prediabetes. So it's what we call insulin resistance, which tends to set up this whole process. Many of the individuals have uh, lipid abnormalities, that's cholesterol and triglycerides, and in particular, they have elevated triglycerides. Triglycerides are more important than we used to think. Doctors and the rest of us used to be far more concerned about cholesterol, but it's triglycerides that are actually the fat being deposited in the liver. If those fat cells make up more than 5% of liver cells, it's classified as fatty liver disease. And it can silently get much worse when inflammation takes hold. The more advanced form is called NASH, or non-alcoholic steatohepatitis, and that is when there is so much fat accumulation in the liver that it has begun to damage the cells and really overcome the liver's natural regenerative properties in a way that can ultimately lead to the need for liver transplantation, for liver cancer, and even death in some circumstances. Donna Cryer is founder and CEO of the Global Liver Institute. She was diagnosed with what appeared to be a genetically linked form of fatty liver disease at age 13. 
By the time she was 23, she was suffering multiple organ failure and was likely just a few days from death when she received a liver transplant. Most people with fatty liver disease never progress to liver failure, but that doesn't mean they're healthy. Wayne Eskridge is founder and CEO of the Fatty Liver Foundation. Liver disease is comorbid with a whole host of other diseases in the system. So even if the liver itself doesn't fail, if it begins to work less efficiently, you'll find that you have a lot of other medical issues and concerns. It's a component of uh, your immune system, of the digestive system. It affects the heart. It affects uh, blood. So there's a lot of things that start to go wrong as the blood starts to get dirty. And so even if you don't reach a point where you're suffering liver failure, you're probably unwell. This is a condition I always have to remind myself, it's not all about the liver. This is a condition that is a setup for other problems, including cardiovascular disease, which is one of the more common reasons people die with this metabolic condition. And the increased incidence of cancers, not only cancers in the liver, but cancers in other parts of the body. So we're learning more about the fact that if you have metabolic syndrome and you have ongoing chronic inflammation in the liver and in the body, including the vessels, that's a bad thing all the way around. So this is really a whole body problem. But while all of this is advancing in the body, there may be few symptoms. Vague kinds of physical symptoms that people will get fatigue and they'll feel discomfort on their liver side. And it's mostly silent, and that's one of the real problems. It's a silent epidemic because most people don't have symptoms until they're actually quite advanced. This takes years to progress. So many times they're at various stages. It starts out very early, and it may take 20, 30, or 40 years before people develop more advanced stage liver disease. Many times people are almost shocked when they're told that they have cirrhosis when they're in their 60s, and nobody picked it up. They see their physician on a regular basis. They're told they have little mild liver enzyme abnormalities. Nobody really looks for it, even in the individuals with metabolic syndrome, which is surprising. And then some event occurs. They develop swelling of their abdomen. They develop bleeding from varices. They get confused. And then all of a sudden, the diagnosis of advanced stage liver disease is made in cirrhosis, and they're shocked, and they're looking at such treatments as liver transplantation. But sometimes there's another reason people are shocked to receive a diagnosis of advanced liver disease. It's the stigma. One of the first things that happens when you get a diagnosis and so many people say, what do you mean I have cirrhosis? I don't drink. I'm not an alcoholic. So you have that from the patient's reaction because patients react to that word inappropriately. But it also has to do with society because society assumes, first of all, that you're probably a drunk or an addict of some sort. And it makes it difficult for people to talk about it or to be open about it or to seek the right kind of care. Sometimes even doctors are too busy to think about it. So blood liver enzyme tests, which might be the first tip-off of a problem, may be ignored. The patient has to be their own advocate many times. And I think that when you have all these characteristics of metabolic syndrome, it's important to ask your doctor, gee, 
is it possible that I have some fatty liver disease? I mean, have we looked at my liver enzymes, for example? I mean, that's one of the simplest things that one can do. You take a blood sample and you look at the liver enzymes. It's not perfect because there are many individuals who have progressive liver injury and basically normal liver enzymes. So we have to emphasize it's not a perfect test, but how about looking at my liver enzymes and seeing if there are any changes, even if they're minor, maybe look into that a little bit further. Looking at an ultrasound of the abdomen, sort of an easy test to do, but a lot of people don't think about it. And if it shows a change in the texture of the liver, many times that can be an indicator. Other tests exist as well, and Cryer says if a person has two or more risk factors for fatty liver among, for example, diabetes, obesity, high blood pressure, or high cholesterol, they should be screened. If something shows up, lifestyle changes are the likely first prescription. You need to lose and sustain 7 to 10 percent of your body weight to be able to address the symptoms of NASH and really reverse it and make sure that it doesn't progress. Many times people, if they are successful through dietary change and exercise and get in a good fitness program, they can alter the natural history of this disease. And that is one of the mainstays of treatment. That's our guidelines suggest this is what you start with. Also, if your physicians are very astute and active in terms of management of your metabolic condition, management of your diabetes, for example, if you have excellent control of your blood sugar, if they're managing your blood pressure uh, appropriately, if they're taking care of your lipids and dropping your lipid, in particular triglycerides, with even something like omega-3 fatty acids. Sometimes people just take that over the counter. Vitamin E has been touted as a medication that has been shown to improve the reaction in the liver and the inflammatory components. People can get that over the counter. Pareko is well aware that losing weight can be hard. Many people do better when they have family or even professional support. But even then, it's still not easy. Some people live in food deserts where quality food is hard to find. And there are cultural issues as well. What we eat, how we eat, it's very difficult thing to address. I just talked to a patient yesterday, and she came in with what appears to be NASH. She has elevated liver enzymes. She has an ultrasound with fat in the liver. And I started talking about, it was, she says, well, how am I going to deal with this? And I said, well, first we have to talk about diet. You're overweight. And she goes, well, I've tried every diet. I can't lose weight. And I go, well, there are ways we can change your food. Well, I can't do that. I'm a diabetic. I have a certain diet I have to use. And then I said, well, how about exercise? Well, I can't exercise because my joints are bad. I've got orthopedic problems now. So you have people that are, they've lived a certain lifestyle and they feel they can't change. It's also emotional, a psychological minefield, and that makes it doubly hard for physicians. But Poreco says it's not a time when physicians can mince words. I have to be pretty straightforward with people because oftentimes I'll see people with more advanced stage liver disease. And if they don't make changes, then they're going to end up either not surviving, they're going to end up with serious complications of liver injury, or they're going to end up transplanted. And so I just have to be straightforward with people, and we have a very short time to really sit down and talk about these issues and they're sensitive issues. And so some people don't take it the right way. And, you know, I try to balance it. And I try to stay away from the idea that we think that there are a certain way that they can't do things. I try to look at the positive aspects of how 
to manage diet, how can we figure out, how can we work together and partner in changing the way you do things so that we can actually make a difference in terms of the liver because it's so important. But Pareko, who was a principal investigator in a number of clinical trials on pharmaceuticals, says drugs may begin to stop the progression and maybe even roll back the damage. We have drugs that are decreasing the development of scar tissue in the liver. That's called fibrosis in our world. So collagen and other things that are being laid down because of this inflammatory reaction, we're starting to see drugs where we can actually stop that from occurring and reversing the development of scar tissue, which is most amazing to me. I always thought that the best I could hope for is decrease the fat in the liver, decrease the inflammation, and halt the disease at its current level. But now we're seeing in clinical trials drugs that are actually reversing the damage that's been done. That's most incredible, I think. Still, in most cases, fatty liver disease is a product of our lifestyles. If we have risk factors, a question to your doctor at your next checkup about those liver enzymes is not unreasonable. You can reach the Global Liver Institute at globalliver.org. The Fatty Liver Foundation is at fattyliverfoundation.org. Or you can find out about all of our guests on our website, radiohealthjournal.net. I'm Reed Pence. Recommendations for the screening, diagnosis, and treatment of various diseases often differ by organization, making it difficult to know which ones to follow. American College of Physicians President Dr. Robert McLean says that ACP's clinical recommendations, developed through a rigorous process, can help patients and doctors inform their decisions. The hallmark of the American College of Physicians methodology is that we base our clinical guidelines and clinical guidance statements on the best available scientific evidence. ACP considers clinical benefits and harms of an intervention and variations in patient values and preferences. ACP develops clinical guidelines based on a systematic review of the available evidence. Their guidance statements provide direction on topics where several clinical guidelines issued by other organizations are available but are conflicting. The aim of guidance statements is to reconcile clinical guidelines to help physicians provide evidence-based care for their patients. Learn more at acponline.org. Paid Not Attorney Spokesperson Fierce Nakawati with Principal Office in Dallas, Texas. Attention landscapers and anyone working in the landscape industry. This is an important alert for users of the Weed Killer Roundup that have been diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. A California jury recently awarded $289 million to a landscaper who claimed Roundup gave him cancer. Roundup is the most widely used herbicide in the United States with billions of pounds applied each year. Farm workers and landscapers are at the highest risk of injury from exposure. Time is limited to file a claim. If you work with Roundup Weed Killer and were diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, don't wait. Call the Roundup legal helpline now. The number to dial is 800-208-0501. That number again is 800-208-0501. You could be entitled to significant compensation. If you've been exposed to Roundup and have been diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, don't wait. Call the Roundup legal helpline right now. 800-208-0501. That's 800-208-0501. Again, 800-208-0501. Call now. What are you going to do with your old car? You can try selling it, you could junk it, or you can donate it to Heritage for the Blind. Your car will be towed away for free and your donation is tax deductible. Just call 1-800-835-1478. 
Heritage for the Blind accepts cars, vans, trucks, and boats. It doesn't matter if your vehicle runs or not. It will be towed away for free, and you'll be supporting those that need help. Heritage for the Blind is a nonprofit organization that helps the visually impaired live fuller lives. Call right now to donate your car, and as a special thank you, you'll receive a free three-day vacation voucher to over 50 locations. Call Heritage for the Blind right now. Call 1-800-835-1478. Donating is easy, and your vehicle is towed away for free. Plus, you'll get a free vacation voucher for donating. Call now, 1-800-835-1478. That's 1-800-835-1478. Thank you for listening to Radio Health Journal, a production of MediaTracks Communications. If you enjoyed this broadcast, please support our show by subscribing, sharing it with a friend, and leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. You can find more Radio Health Journal stories about health, science, and technology on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and RadioHealthJournal.net. Also, follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Radio Health Journal. Coming up next week on Radio Health Journal. We don't know who best responds to an app. We don't know who gets better. In some cases, who gets worse, who doesn't respond, and who has perhaps side effects. Using health apps on your smartphone might not be as effective as you think. Then the link between obesity and cancer. Obesity is a risk factor that is rivaling smoking in regards to risk of developing cancer. All that and more on Radio Health Journal.